Hello, welcome to the Tech for Good podcast. We are very passionate about two things, technology and our world. In each pod, we will be interviewing some fascinating people, business leaders, but those with a special interest in solving the biggest issues facing humanity today. Think the environment. Think healthcare provision during a pandemic. Think global social injustice. If you want to know more about technology's immense potential to fix and transform, then you're in the right place. In this episode, Stuart Hodge speaks to Rudolf Gordon Seymour. Rudolf is head of international fundraising for Telecom Sans Frontières, an NGO which sets up emergency communications networks during humanitarian crises. Its work is vital in supporting populations which are often in critical need. In the interview, Rudolf talks in detail about TSF's work, along with the challenges and the rewards. But first, Stuart asks Rudolf to give a potted history of the company itself. Basically, uh, TSF was formed in 1998 by uh, Jean-Francois Casaneuve and Monique Lempetit. They were doing kind of traditional humanitarian work um, back in the 90s during the Balkans crisis. And it became really apparent at that time uh, when they were being handed notes from people wishing to speak to their loved ones and family. Um, so they would be handing these notes to them saying, please, can you try and contact uh, my father, my mother um, or my child? Um, and, uh, and at that point, um, they felt there was this kind of missing link in the kind of NGO um, mm. world. Um, and technology and communications were obviously uh, becoming more and more important at that time. Um, and they created a Telecom Sans Frontier off, off the back of that. That does sound like a really sort of emotional thing that, you know, like speaking to people in war zones and just just not being able to contact the people you love. I, I, I can definitely see why that motivation w- w- was kind of there. And what about your own journey then? So tell me how you got to the point of where you are now and, and your own sort of career history a wee bit. Well, it's you know it's going it's going back a little bit, um, and I'll be showing my age a, a bit. I I, <laughs> I kind of I, I fell into telecoms really after university, literally kind of fell in in 1995, um, and uh, back in the good old days of you know X25 and V24 uh, uh, modems, you know, which mm. uh, I think were kind of kicking out about. 19.2k speeds at that time which was unheard of um so that's that's where i started and i started uh for an american uh, network provider called infinite corporation uh which was subsequently bought by british telecom funnily enough um and i started in the in the global support world um supporting uh, financial networks um mm-hmm. and uh so it's a real kind of baptism of fire from a uh, student life uh being put into this uh crazy world of uh technical support uh for dealers in financial houses <laughs> granted but the 1990s an exciting time to be involved in the sector wasn't it yeah well it was a it was a roller coaster for sure from 95 to 2005 was a real roller yeah. coaster because obviously we saw the dot-com 
um, the rise of the dot com and the fall of the dot com and the crash, yeah. Um, and I, I, uh, I left Infinite after five years and joined a, a, a what was a small startup at the time um, based in London called European Telecommunications. Um, so we were really kind of riding that um, storm at the time um, during 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 that kind of mini crisis. Um, but we managed to come out of that and uh, that grew and grew through mergers, acquisitions and organic growth to become um, GTT Communications. Mm. And I worked, I worked for them for uh, 14, 15 years. Okay, and, and, and then, so the what about the telecom Saint Frontier step of the journey? Well, um, after after a great period with uh, GTC Communications, which I headed up the the global operations for, I decided to kind of uh, take a back step and take a sabbatical. Basically, I'd, I'd kind of moved around a bit, lived in three or four different countries, um, and it was kind of full on role twenty four seven operations. Is yeah, always yeah, yeah. You never turn your phone off. Um, so yeah, so I decided to take some time out, and I really like the idea of. Um, working for an NGO, but I wanted to work for an NGO where I, I could kind of use my experience and, and my skill set to actually add kind of hopefully real value to that. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I literally, um, uh, being based in the south of France, uh, I happen to be and live 15 minutes from Telecom Sans Frontiers um, HQ. Um, and I happen to bump in to the founder of TSF by by sheer chance, by sheer chance. Um, and uh, yeah, we had a conversation and I said, well, I've got some time and I'd really like to kind of um, be a part of, you know, the great work that you do. Tell us a bit about that conversation because I think it's really interesting how life can be serendipitous at times like that, like where well, things just happen. Because, I mean, obviously it's the time where you're kind of looking for something new, something where your skills are relevant, and then you end up bumping in. Like, you, that conversation ends up happening. So, so well, tell us a little bit about that. It, it was incredibly random. Um, I uh, Two French people turned up at my house one morning um, inviting me to a lunch, um, which was all to do about the history of the house that I was living in. Um, and I, uh, so they invited me to lunch and I thought, well, it, it would seem fitting that I should invite them for a coffee morning um, yes. uh, before we go to lunch. Um, so... Two weeks later, I had 25 people turn up for coffee. Um, <laughs> By the way, for, for anyone that doesn't know, this is, this is obviously just showing, Rudolph, that you've got a keen understanding of French culture when it comes to <laughs> the expectations that are there. Having lived in France myself, I know that they know how to do coffee mornings and lunches very well. I, I know what's important to them, that's for sure. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I had 25 people at the house, um, and one of those, one of those people... Uh, was uh, Jean-Francoise, who's who was the founder of TSF, and 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 weirdly enough, his connection was to my house because his grandfather uh, used to own my house. Wow! Um, and uh, so, as a child, he used to play in the garden in the house. So <laughs> it was the most random uh, meeting. And I said, "Well, you know, we we should we should talk." So um, we did, and uh, you know, almost three years later, um, here I am. So what's been the, the, the sort of proudest moment so far for you in your time working with TSF? Is there any one sort of moment or, or kind of case study you could mention that, that has given you real pride from, from well, the work that you've done? 
Well, you know, uh, TSF, the organisation, the people who work here, they're 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 a real kind of modest bunch. Yeah. So we don't we don't like to use the word kind of proud. Um, <laughs> I, I don't think. I think I think the achievement from my point of view, I'm all about funding, and that funding mm -hmm. obviously will help support the actual global operations that we carry out, yeah? So I'm kind of a little bit detached from the real world of TSF in terms of the engineering deployments. Um, but, you know, all I know is every time I get funding or, or a new partner, I know that that is going to support our emergency deployments or could be channeled into our long-term programs. Um, and so for me, that's enough, you know, and I'm, I'm very happy um, when we can kind of grow that funding stream. So tell me about, well, let, let's get into the nitty gritty of it. Tell me the kind of stuff that TSF does and some of the some, some of the quite extreme cases of the work that you do, some of the, the real but, difficult stuff, if you like. Well, I think, um, I mean, you know, over over their history since, since 1998, um, TSF have uh, carried out over 140 uh, deployments um across 70 over 70 countries yeah wow so in that time um they have supported um over 20 million beneficiaries and nearly a thousand ngos as well because we don't just deploy to support uh, displaced populations in 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 a natural disaster scenario but we're also on the ground to help support other local responders and NGOs so they can also coordinate their work. Because, mm -hmm. you know, communication is absolutely vital um, on, on the ground. So I think I think every deployment's a challenge. Um, I think it would be very difficult to kind of pick one out of the 140. But I mean, if I, if I was to kind of look back at my time here, I know uh, during uh, 2019, there was hur Hurricane Dorian in the Bahamas. Mm -hmm. um, and that that kind of brought a new set of challenges in terms of uh, a getting to the affected islands um, mm -hmm. of which there were there were many um, and also moving between the islands because it was still quite stormy uh, conditions so um, you know there was a high risk of injury to personnel um, and also when the teams deploy on the ground They've also got to look after themselves as well. I mean, we do as much kind of pre-assessment work as we can, but you know, we're trying to we're trying to dispatch a team within 24 hours. There's not a lot of time for uh, a big assessment report at that stage. So actually, most of the assessment is done in the first week on the ground. Mm. Um, but they've also got to look after themselves. So they've got to kind of feed themselves and shelter mm -hmm. themselves. Yeah. So we have had engineers, you know, sleeping on supermarket floors. Yeah. Wow whilst still trying to put together a communication network for the affected population. So, you know, those guys, those guys are the, the real heroes of, of Telecoms and Frontier. Hello, I'm Daniel Brigham, editor of Tech for Good magazine. I hope you're enjoying this podcast. And if you want more, you can head over to techforgood.net for some compelling and thought-provoking stories. From high-tech insect farms that could solve world hunger to a global mission to counter the spread of COVID-19 disinformation, we've got Tech for Good covered. You can read and subscribe at techforgood.net. What 
are the kind of biggest challenges that, that are faced um maybe by some of these people that, that that you guys have had to confront and then in your role as well what's the biggest challenge you face in in terms of managing to generate enough funding um to to go out there and be able to do this this very valuable job well um i think um getting people on board um and understanding what we do i mean the understanding of what we do is really easy Every, everyone kind of gets it in the industry in the telecom tech industry um i think the challenge is actually speaking to the right people uh in order uh to have those conversations because anything to do with csr um or esg is decided at the top of the organization and it's a culture of the organization so it really comes down from ceo board level yeah. yeah so so we have to be getting in front of um the key decision makers in the organization yeah. um and and they have to they have to have an appetite for csr um and you know my job is to kind of um engage um with um you know mainly kind of c level um uh, personnel within those organizations um and look to see how they can help us on on lots of different levels including funding but also to kind of confirm a link between their csr program and what we do you know because we can be kind of an extension of their kind of marketing message yeah uh, mm. because, we're, because we're a communications driven ngo so we have to be quick we have to be agile we have to be responsive you know we hit all those kind of key areas of a lot of the telecom tech companies mm. the obvious question to ask at this point uh and unfortunately it's one that, that you're asking just about every interview now is how has covid19 affected things for you guys i mean has it has it made it even more difficult to to do deployments um and what about from a from a sort of holistic standpoint as an organization how has that affected you guys well, I think uh, I think it's it, you know COVID. I think it's affected every organisation at at different levels, um, and you know um, telecoms on frontiers are uh, no different to that. the The kind of immediate impact to us was actually looking at some of our current long term programmes and having to adapt those. So, for instance, we you know for a number of years we've been running you know education. Um, centers um, in Turkey for Syrian children. Um, mm -hmm. So these are the uh, child refugees from the Syrian war um, that are now kind of based in in Turkey and and you know uh, an entire kind of misgeneration in terms of education and schooling. Yeah, so so, sad. so so what we've had to do there is we've had to then provide a distance learning. Um, option and alternative because we couldn't have them all in a class-based um, education program so mm. we've had to kind of move them out of the classroom so that that was one of the first things we did in the in the first few months when this kicked off and this you know we're talking about you know almost a year ago now when mm -hmm. when this actually kicked off and, and hit hit western europe so um again in in south america we provide uh, information centers for uh, migrants mm -hmm. um, who are traveling um, through um, Mexico. Um, again, we've adapted those um, to provide uh, information on COVID. Uh, originally, 
they were there to provide information on the legal rights um, for asylum um, and for entering um, new countries. Um, mm -hmm. So we've kind of adapted that. Um, uh, and also in Syria, where we've um, connected lots of medical facilities, we've expanded those connections um, in Syria uh, for the medical facilities because obviously they're already overrun. Even without COVID, they're in, under incredible pressure. So if you, you add COVID into that equation, it, it becomes, you know, almost unmanageable. So what I'm kind of, you're, you're seeing all these things here and I'm just sitting going, that must be really hard to encounter on a daily basis. Like uh, the work is obviously hugely valuable, but having to face up to the realities of some of the most horrible things some of the most horrible situations people find themselves in the world. Is that not a real challenge sometimes, looking and, and, and dealing with some of these things um, and being aware of them? Yeah, I, well, I think, it's, I think it's hugely challenging, but I think as an organisation, we're very focused um, in terms of identifying, you know, the immediate needs, uh, whether it be on an emergency deployment or, or a longer-term programme. Mm -hmm. um, and we we can adapt to that, and we're a very innovative organisation. Um, so we really use technology for for the greater good. Yeah, well, that's what we are. We're about tech for good. So, do you have any kind of cool examples of where you've been innovative? Well, I think um, if I was to kind of look recently, because we've had multiple deployments during this COVID um, mm -hmm. crisis, and. Uh, back in September, we had to uh, deploy to uh, uh, Beirut um, because of the multiple port explosions um, down there, which impacted over, I mean, impacted over 300,000 people, um, those explosions. So we actually set up uh, quite an innovative um, call center, actually, um, where uh, the displaced um, population um, using WhatsApp could actually message, which would then go to the call center and and turn that into um, a case that needed to be followed up. So we used a WhatsApp bot. Um, wow. So these are some of the kind of innovations. And the, the, reason, the reason they used WhatsApp, because we looked to see um, what was the most popular messaging platform in of that course. region. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, that makes total sense. In that region, it happened to be WhatsApp. Um, and obviously, we know everyone, even in even in the developing economies, most people have mobile phones. Mm -hmm. um, so, so we can use that um, to our advantage, and that's what we've done uh, in Beirut, um, and provided a lot of support to people who are homeless, who've got financial issues, and and that emergency deployment actually turned into a long term um, deployment because we are still there and still supporting. Um, the affected population. Um, and now it's become more of a, a psychological need requirement. Do you want to keep up to date with the latest in enterprise, technology, and digital transformation? Visit digitalbulletin.com for news, long reads, thought leadership, and so much more. That's digitalbulletin.com. It must be hugely rewarding the work you do and the work yeah. that the whole team does. 
Yeah, and I, I you know, um, b- uh, before before our interview, I did canvas some of the engineering team and said to them, so you know, what uh, was the most rewarding part? And and the theme that really came out was actually seeing um, these these affected populations on the ground and seeing them smile. You know, yeah. because we've just provided this means of communication which has had such a huge impact you know stuff we take for granted every day mm-hmm. um it's had just a huge impact on them um during you know really difficult times so i think our reward is is um you know a smile and a, and a happy um person at the end of what we do and i think when people see the tsf logo on the ground i think their kind of feeling is um very positive in terms of great we're going to be able to um get in communication with um our family the literature i had a look at in the in the build up to this interview was one of the projects you guys have got called lap for future it's um the one i think i think you might have referenced it earlier for the the syrian refugees in turkey um so maybe you could tell us a bit more about that in detail because i think that sounds like an example of one of the really really interesting projects where you've gone sort of one step beyond just abc and, and an abacus you know yeah no it's really um lab for future which we um started um last year um is really uh an extension of um our kind of education uh program um and basically it's directed uh initially um for um syrian refugee um children um, based in Turkey, um, and there's there's over four hundred thousand um, children from Syria and Turkey, um, you know, who basically uh, don't have any means of um, education. Um, so, we, you know, we are feeling filling a very small requirement um, there, um, and we've opened two centres. Um, which were basically uh, aimed at children between six, six and seventeen, um, and it gives them the opportunity to learn um, digital um, and soft skills um, in a in a safe environment, um, and it basically fosters um, teamwork and, and collaboration. Um, and we run various workshops, um, which kind of starts with computers um, and internet. Um, and then that evolves into programming and robotics. Um, so we've got these great little robots um, where um, which basically assist um, programming. Um, right. And so they can program using kind of um, uh, building blocks, uh-huh. um, and then that will transmit to commands to the robot. It's called an M- M-Bot. Okay. Um, and it's kind of a fun... It's a fun way of learning and a fun way of learning something like programming. Um, it also, it's like it's one of those toys that I imagine it will have the effect of, um, particularly for, for, for a lot of these children who won't have seen technology that advanced before. What you're doing is you're opening their mind up to a possibility of what, what we can actually achieve as human beings in a yeah, positive yeah. way. You know? And it's, and it, you know, even even for us um, adults, you know, when I, I remember seeing this little robotic device over a, over a year ago, maybe two years ago, um, and it's something that we kind of developed 
Um, and you know, for me, I was, I was kind of like a, you know, kid in a candy store. <laughs> I was like, wow, this is like, you know, this is amazing. So I, I'm sure it has the same impact, you know, on the ground there. Um, and then we're, we're looking to evolve these workshops more into also, um, electrical, um, and also kind of fabrication type workshops as well. Um, so mm. we're trying to, we're trying to cover that and that, that will kind of really give, um, give these children, um, a chance of learning some, you know, real world skills, um, in order to then have much better opportunities moving forward, because at the moment their opportunities, um, you know, are near zero. That's it. And I think that's what makes the work so valuable that, that, that you guys do. Um, just in terms of what sort of lies ahead from yourself, from your own perspective personally, and TSF in future, is there anything we should be looking out for? I mean, do you see yourself stay, staying doing this job a long time? I, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I love, you know, uh, doing what I do for TSF. Um, this year, I think, you know, it has been very challenging, not only on uh, on the operational level, but also the funding level, because, you know, we've seen um, all the uh, industry events that I try and I try and attend as many industry events as I can. And the face the face to face um, discussions are really important to the work that I do. So yeah. now that you know, obviously, we've seen all these events move to virtual platforms, um, and they've done. You know they've done a great job i mean um um moving and adapting um and the virtual uh, events have worked very well but everyone will say it's not the same you no. know you do need that kind of face-to-face -face interaction um so that's been that's made kind of the funding element um a lot more challenging also the know. fact companies are tightening their belts because of the whole impact economically of the of the pandemic yeah, and I, I mean, the only the only thing I would say, I mean, thankfully, the the tech telecom world actually hasn't been um, that negatively impacted um, by COVID compared to a lot of other yeah, industries. Um, so, uh, so there's no excuse not to give us you know, <laughs> lots of money. Um, but no, you're right because I think actually what happened and what I saw a year ago was uh, the first six months of the pandemic. Um, it was definitely more challenging because I think companies were very busy trying to adapt to this this new world, um, even moving all their staff remotely and all the logistics behind that. So they were very busy uh, figuring stuff out. Uh, but now, actually, I see that we're kind of normalised a little bit to this, yeah. and it's it's kind of business as usual. Um, and I found in the latter part uh, of last year. Uh, much more kind of meaningful conversations well that that all sounds really positive um yeah. what, what should we look out for um in the rest of 2021 from you guys any exciting projects coming well i think well our focus is very much on on lab for future and looking at other innovations um we we're quite excited actually at the moment about the um uh, possible opportunity of um, using kind of low orbit satellite type services and we've had a number of conversations which uh, I can't go into too much but um, that for us is a technology that's really exciting because we it's it's cheaper um, it's faster um, and potentially um, quicker 
to deploy. Um, and certainly in the developing economies that we generally work in, certainly when there's natural or man-made disasters, um, that type of equipment um, would be great. That was the Tech for Good podcast. Listen, subscribe and rate us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Stitcher.